0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural production of Powderheads, a Carpenter Additive Podcast. With each episode of Powderheads, we'll be bringing you the minds of industry experts and delve into topics that are defining how additive manufacturing is making an impact on our world. For our premiere episode, we're staying local. Crystal Kilgore, Carpenter Technologies Content Development Manager, sits down with Ben Farrar, Vice President and General Manager at Carpenter Additive. In his role since early 2019, Ben is responsible for the overall strategic leadership and operational execution of the Carpenter Additive Business Unit. He brings well over 10 years' experience in the metal AM industry and deep expertise in AM system and application development. In this talk, Ben recaps the early days of AM and why there are so many British accents in the industry. He also chimes in with a perspective on whether AM is a digital technology or a metallurgical process and how to get started in the industry. Thanks for listening to Powderheads and enjoy the conversation. Thanks
1: for joining us today, Ben. Um, Just What's your background? How
2: did you get into this space? How did you get into additive? So the university I went to was the University of Liverpool in the UK. And um, we had quite an advanced program there in terms of additive manufacturing. It wasn't called additive manufacturing then, it was called rapid prototyping. Um, But we had three metal AM machines, laser selective laser melting machines back in the early 2000s. Um, and we would mainly be working with titanium um, and we'd had a couple of contracts with you know, the likes of um, Stryker Orthopedics who's a medical device manufacturer and so as I went through university I, I saw the machines and when I finished my, my undergraduate degree um, I, I did some work in the labs uh, working on projects for Stryker Orthopedics and, and it started from there.
1: Well, that would explain why there's so many British accents then in this space, having <laughs> come from the CNC side. The amount of British accents we get to hear on the additive
2: side is quite refreshing. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the UK's been a, you know, there's a, quite a few universities in the early days that did a lot for the technology, you know, Loughborough University and that group moving to Nottingham University and good work in, you know, Warwick and Birmingham and Liverpool. So I think... You know, that's probably why you see quite a few of us Brits about, you know, the Germans have dominated the machine tool world. The Brits have dominated academia and then, you know, coming through on the engineering side. And now what we're seeing is, you know, the U.S. really taking the charge and trying to take this to scale. So...
1: So I want to dive in. There was an article recently where one of our colleagues uh, used a quote that um, where he said that additive is inherently viewed as a digital technology by the greater public, but it's actually deep down a metallurgical process. And I, I was really fascinated by that because it is true. A lot of people think of the digital side of it um, and that it is this new age technology, but it's not that different from processes that we do understand. so I just want, kind of hear your take on
2: that can you dive into that a bit deeper. Yeah I, I completely agree. I mean the the complexity of this technology is enormous, right? I mean if you had to think of the five most complicated phenomena that that go on, right, and you'd talk about lasers, powder, you know, fluid flow and gas gas flow management, optical and you know, managing that laser power and and doing that all in a really you know controlled environment right that's it's hugely complicated and when we refer to additive manufacturing technology as 3d printing i think sometimes we you know undermine how complicated the technology is right and and so whilst over the years we've sold the technology as a metal 3d printing technology and it's the easiest way for the people in the industry to explain what this technology is and does to people outside the industry um I think that that's probably had a negative impact because we're oversimplifying the reality of what's going on, right? The reality of what's going on is we're making lots of really tiny, tiny welds next to each other and building up a part. And that has to be validated in the same way from a materials uh, technology perspective as any other ad- any other process. Um, it's not
1: just press print.
2: Yeah, it really isn't just press print. Um, and any- anyone who's, you know anyone who has pressed print on a metal additive manufacturing machine will tell you it's not as easy as just pressing print. I mean, I remember the days where we used to have to calculate the laser power that we wanted by actually putting in, you know, entering into the software the number of amps that we wanted to feed the laser with, right? You know, there's, and yes, we've moved on a long way, but it doesn't change the fundamentals that this technology is hard, it's difficult. And Um, there's a lot of work to do to really get the level of repeatability that we need to have an aerospace manufacturing technology.
1: So what do you think are some of the most common hurdles for people getting into this technology? What are some of the most common questions that you come about for beginners?
2: So, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's just beginners, right? There's, There's people who are very, very highly respected in their industries and areas that that fall into um you know this the sort of hype with additive manufacturing right that it's that it's easy um and very often right seeing the seeing the the ways in which you need to manipulate the different parameters in the technology to get all of the benefit out of it is is challenging uh, i mean I think if I was if I was to give one piece of advice to people starting off in this technology it would be to you know get a machine do lots of builds and fail fast because the only the only way to learn is that you you are going to make builds that are going to fail that's going to teach you about your designs you are going to do things with your materials that that are wrong right you know and and you're better off doing that quickly than uh, than waiting for every, for the stars to align before getting a machine and getting involved in the technology.
1: Yeah, I do think that's one of the misconceptions people especially coming from the traditional manufacturing space are used to mature technologies Everyone knows how a mill works, and so they might need a test run or two to get their tooling up, but then it just works, and they don't realize that, especially the powder bed machines, don't quite operate under that same premise.
2: Yeah, and look, the machines are getting, you know, the machines are so much better than they were 10 years ago, but still, what, the the level of complexity of the process as we introduce new materials, as we introduce new applications you know, that bar is continually getting higher and higher. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it's a learning curve, right? And, and there's been pioneers in that learning curve that have, that have made the investment and, and done a lot of the hard learning for, um, for the rest of the industry, right? And I think that the only way for people to really be successful with this technology is to start their learning process, right?
1: Yeah, so I mean, you you the all the advancements that have been made in the past 10 years on that learning curve. Where do you think it's going to be in the next 10 years?
2: Yes, I mean, look, I remember 10 years ago thinking, can you imagine where this technology is going to be in 10 years time? You know, thinking about, you know, the complete automation of powder handling and, you know, banks and banks of machines. I I remember I was at a, a conference probably around 2010 at the European Space Agency. And someone was saying, oh, now today it takes, you know, one person can run 3 a.m. machines, right? But in, in 10 years' time, one person will be able to run 100 a.m. machines, right? Like, if I mean, that guy would be a hero, right? Yeah, the, pers- <laughs> <they>. <laughs> the person who could run 100 a.m. machines would be an absolute hero. Because th- there still is a l- it's labor intensive, right? Turning around the machine, cleaning down the powder, all those types of things. But I, all those, the, the the framework is there now, right, and the the building blocks are there to be able to start automating steps in the process, to be able to start having confidence about how you recycle your materials, and that's you know a lot of the a lot of the work rightly so that the machine OEMs has done has been on the fundamental process, that fundamental interaction with the powder, um, and. You know, We focused a lot as an organization on what happens around the process. How does the powder get in the machine? How do you recycle the powder? How do you measure the powder in between? And how do you heat treat the parts? And really t- uh, understanding that total end-to-end process, which is what will enable us to get to the next step with these technologies.
1: Yeah, we don't have only one person out there running the machines, but here at the Emerging Technology Center in Athens it seems like a very young but engaged crew so how do you see in this in the additive field it seems like a lot of young people are really excited to get into manufacturing so how is it working in that space with them
2: yeah look i think i think it's brilliant i think with these technologies you have to it, it helps to have a, an open mind right i i'm not going to pretend that i don't see additively manufactured designs and i still get that feeling now where i think oh it, that doesn't look strong enough. It it doesn't look right. You know, you, you see topology-optimized designs, brackets and things like that. Yeah, it just doesn't look right. And I imagine that, you know, the chief engineers sat within aerospace organizations that are, you know, probably, you know, two to three decades older than me. I imagine they're having a huge problem with those sorts of designs and and in terms of finding them acceptable and signing them off. So that's one of the huge benefits of having a a new technology in a relatively young workforce is they're not constrained by the ideas that maybe some of the historical engineers are constrained by and i think that that's what's unique about this emerging technology center right you've put or we've we've built this smack bang in the middle of our athens alabama campus where we have huge amounts of metallurgical knowledge you know decades of metallurgical knowledge to be able to you know, guide those young additive minds into how do we really turn this technology from a, you know, a prototyping technology into a true production technology. And true production technology, I'm not talking about a few machines making, you know, hundreds of kilos of parts. I'm talking about, you know, hundreds of tons of parts, right, which is where we need this technology to get to, 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 to really, really see the benefits.
1: Carpenter technology has been around for 130 years. So what does it feel like to kind of be the new kid on the block within the company for this very established company? And now they're bringing in additive and it's just different from what they've known.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, right, there's, there's significant benefits to being part of an organization that's 130 years old, right? We have, we have the support of the executive team. You know, and they're really willing and, and giving us everything we need to succeed. Um, I'm, I'm really excited at how forward thinking the organization has been with its acquisition strategy. Um, I, I joined the business through acquisition and through, of a company called LPW Technology. And um, I think that seeing from an executive level, the amount of engagement and time that's spent thinking about additive and building on the additive strategy is, is really unique, right? In, a, in an organization of this size. And I think that just shows how important it is and how much potential this technology has. Um, so from an executive perspective, it's it's, it's really good, right? And um, I, I think that part of the challenge that we have as, as a new technology is that, you know, an, This is like any new business or new technology or fast growing area, right? We have to overcome challenges quickly, right? That's how we grow, right? We grow from learning from our mistakes quickly and overcoming those challenges. And sometimes I find that within larger organizations, that can be more difficult to stay nimble and react to the market that's going on. I would say that what's unique about Carpenter Additive is we've got the opportunity within the structure of Carpenter Technology to still keep our, to still be nimble, but with the support and backing of a, of a balance sheet of a of a Nasdaq listed organization. Again, right? You think about the wider support of an organization like Carpenter Technology. Carpenter went through a transition in the last few years to, um, you know, to be have market facing verticals. So a vertical for aerospace, a vertical for medical, a vertical for transport, energy, consumer, uh, and industrial. And we really benefit in additive from that market-facing knowledge. And it really means that we're able to go to the next level in terms of our applications discussions that we're having with our customers. Because typically these guys or the customers are already customers of our our you know solid form product businesses and or our powder business so it becomes a transition discussion and usually we have this really talented team of applications engineers that sit within the market verticals that they can think of the applications within our customers um, range of products that would be good for additive before our customers think of them which is which is really novel and unique and we've we've built upon that okay and so not to the point where we're just looking at applications but we're actually looking at okay well if we rethink the way we're approaching materials in additive what does that then mean is capable within the within our customers material set so we've got some really exciting projects going on in our r&d department in reading pennsylvania where you know, we're pioneering new materials that give us a specific set of properties for a, for a given customer's application or challenge. It's really exciting.
0: Who's doing stuff that's super interesting in this space other than Carpenter Adam?
2: So I, with my background in the machine tool technology, right, I find it really interesting looking at how the technologies have developed. Um, there's three or four, New machine tool um, developers working at working on machines that will either increase the productivity or increase the accuracy significantly, uh, or enable new geometries. And so I think there will be a there will be a momentum shift in the next couple of years away from and and some of the the more traditional machine tool manufacturers, um, and we'll start to see more. Machines dedicated for specific applications or specific materials. It's like like with any growing industry, right? When it gets to a certain for the first ten years, everybody's looking at it, saying, "Well, I'm going to develop a generic machine that can can do everything, right? It's a, you know a jack of all trades." But now we're starting to see the optimization of these machines to be able to do specific jobs, and I think that's going to be really interesting because it'll unlock either. Economics for a certain application, or it'll unlock geometry allowances. I'm trying not to mention names because we work with a lot of them, you know, confidentially. But some of them confidentially. But um, but yeah, there's some really exciting stuff on the horizon.
0: Along the same lines, what's the most overhyped part of uh, of additive manufacturing at the moment?
2: What's the most overhyped part of additive manufacturing? I think that when you look at additive manufacturing right there's there's a lot of pictures that you see of parts that aren't true production parts so we'll hear of you know we'll hear of things saying oh this has been approved it's a production part right and then you'll find out that oh yeah there's the production part is eight parts made a year right it's you know we've got atomizers that can make you know tons of powder a day right or you know tens of tons hundreds of tons you know and you know when you hear of a a 1 kilo application or 2 kilo application that they're making eight of a year and that gets put out there as a new production application it's like uh, it's, it's frustrating but i mean we're starting to see a lot more um a lot more customers starting to overcome those qualification challenges and starting to move into production it's really nice to see
1: so here's the real heavy hitter question okay i've been around these machines long enough to know that sometimes you just need to run a test build and you're not necessarily doing that with the customer geometry so what is the coolest trinket souvenir you've had printed for yourself on one of these machines
2: so so i uh i used to work for renishaw um, and so my my role there was in the design or running the design team and developing the the additive machines. And when I left Rhenishore, my team um, made me a set of uh, a small replica additive manufacturing machines, so little metal AM machines uh, made on the AM system, made on the, the uh, AM two hundred and fifty, the the, the machine. But all with instead of having the door for where you put the build, uh, where you put the, the substrate in, mm-hmm. it was little door cutouts for, for golf ball putting.
1: <laughs>
2: so I've got them and I put them on the floor in my office at my house and I put a golf ball into them. I think the guys did it to uh, to take the piss. Yeah. <laughs> they
1: <probably laughs> test the design for themselves as well. So yeah. They all have them too. Yeah,
2: yeah, but it's good.
1: They're very cool. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: look forward to seeing the growth in the future. Thanks.
0: Thanks to Ben Farrar, VP and General Manager at Carpenter Additive. His perspective on the importance of validation in the AM industry can't be understated. And his advice to those who want to get started was to get a machine and do lots of builds and fail fast. Strong takeaway from someone who's had a front row seat to the industry's growth from the beginning. If you have questions or comments about what we discussed in this podcast of Powderheads, send them to powderheads at carpenteradditive.com or visit our podcast page at www.carpenteradditive.com powderheads. We're building an archive of all of our interviews there, as well as additional material that provides perspective on modern day additive manufacturing. Powderheads is managed by Carpenter Additive and its parent company, Carpenter Technology, a global leader in specialty alloys for over 130 years. Our goal is to help customers solve their most challenging material and process problems. Learn more at carpentertechnology.com. Thanks again for listening and keep building.